The Lord willing, we will this evening and in two weeks' time reflect on the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth, of course, is a well-known story. And every child Bible, no matter how much abbreviated, has this tale. And if the child Bible has pictures, then there she is. A willowy figure, dark hair, and big brown eyes demurely gazing out at us. And it is a story with a sad beginning and a happy end. Really all that one could wish for in a child's story. But is that it? A nice story with a sad beginning and a happy end. Now, if you read the real version in the Bible, it is indeed a nice story. It's well-balanced, elegantly structured, a neat composition, dropping hints early on in the narrative of things, the relevance of which only becomes clear later. For example, chapter 2, verse 1, that Boaz was a wealthy relative. And as many good stories, it also leaves a lot of questions unanswered and open to our dreams and imagination. Was Boaz married already? Were there more children after Obed? Did they love each other? Yes, it is a well-written and a charming and a delightful story and a joy to read. But the Bible is not a collection of nice stories which are included just for the sake of them. Now, as we know, Ruth is one of only two books in the Bible named after a woman. The other one, the minister is taking us through, is Esther. Now, about Esther, we are told that she was Jewish and that she was beautiful. And because she was beautiful, she caught the eye of the Persian king, Esverus, and became his queen. And in that position, as a Jewish, she was convinced to risk her life to plead for her people, saving Israel from a near extinction by Haman. So she was the instrument through which the Lord saved her people and thereby the coming of the Messiah. And in remembrance, there is even a Jewish national holiday, the Purim feast. So in the book of Esther, the Lord is mentioned nowhere, but at work everywhere. The point of the book of Esther is clear. But what about Ruth? There must have been many sad cases in Israel's history of young widows who later remarried. So what then is exactly the point of this book? Now looking at the most famous and indeed very moving words in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God, and where you will die, I will die. 
Should we see here a shining example of interhuman solidarity and loyalty which went far beyond the call of duty? An example that if only all of us were to follow it would result in a better world. That would trigger the good in other people as it did in Boas and finally lead us to a happy end. Or is this book about God's providence? Because no matter how bad and how incomprehensible, unreasonable, unjust even life may treat us like it did Naomi, she felt, we just have to hang in there and make the best of it and tough it out. And then in the end, God will, in his providence, make it all right and give us a happy end. Or is there another point that we need to learn? So what is the message of the Book of Ruth? Now, before we reflect on that question this evening, it may be helpful to see this book in its historical context. And the book itself indicates this context in the first sentence in chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled. And if you look at the preceding sentence in your Bible, the last sentence of the book of Judges, then you can read what kind of days these were. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. You see, Moses and Joshua had brought the Israelites into the promised land. And both had told the people in Deuteronomy 7, in Deuteronomy 11, in Deuteronomy 29, in Joshua 23, that the Lord had now given them their allotted inheritance. Joshua had given every family its own piece of land. And now Israel had to keep itself and its land holy, set apart for the service of the Lord and if they just, and if they did just that, they were told they would prosper in a land flowing of milk and honey. And every family would farm its inheritance in peace and prosperity until the Messiah would come. And every family was then to be represented by its descendants when that glorious day would come. Also the laws regarding the redemption of the land in Leviticus 25 and the leveret marriage in Deuteronomy 25, about which we may hear more the next time, were designed to this effect. But if Israel did not serve the Lord, the Lord would abandon them to their enemies. And that is what happened again and again in the times of the judges, which time followed Joshua for more than 400 years. And if you think that today's times are less than bad, you should read Judges 19. Because Israel had just become like Sodom and Gomorrah, with whose fate the Lord threatened them. And it sounds throughout that book like a never-ending refrain, sinning, saved, sinning, redeemed. Now we know that Samuel, as the last judge, anointed David as king, and we're told in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth that David's 
is the, David's great-grandfather is Ruth's son, which suggests that Ruth probably lived somewhere towards the end of that more than 400-year period of the judges. Moses, Joshua, the law, the covenant, in everyday life already a distant memory, rapidly disappearing behind a repeating history of rebellion, evil, and disobedience in the more recent past. And then the beginning of the book of Ruth tells us that Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread, the land allotted to Judah, is subject to a famine. Now, with that background in mind, let us then turn again to the question, what is the point of the book of Ruth? And the book of Ruth is a beautiful illustration and definition of how the Lord redeems them and us. Now, redemption means deliverance. In the Bible, there's sometimes deliverance by strength, but quite often also by someone paying a ransom for someone else. One paying another one's debts. And redemption is there being reinstated as a child of God with another one paying the price. And this is a story of how God brings not only nations, as he did throughout the time of the judges, but also individual people back to him. Through the events of everyday life, God saves his children and shows them his redemptive grace. And if we seek him, seek refuge under his wings, he will always protect us, always save us, and always bring us back to him. And for, first the Lord does this in this story for Naomi, for Ruth, and for Elimelech's house, through Boaz the kinsman redeemer. But ultimately God does this for all of us through the suffering of our Lord, the son of David mentioned in the last verse of this book. And therefore I would like to summarize the message of God's word for you this evening as follows. The R of Ruth is the R of redemption. The R of Ruth is the R of redemption. And we note three things. One, redemption rejected by Naomi. Chapter 1, the verses 13, 15, and 20. But then also, in the second place, redemption requested by Ruth. In chapter 1, verse 16... And then thirdly, redemption reassured by Boaz in chapter 2, verse 12. So then the R in roof is the R of redemption, and we note in the first place how redemption was initially rejected by Naomi. Our story tells us that in the time of the judges there was yet another bad turn. And in Bethlehem there is a famine. Maybe Israel had left the Lord again and its enemies were raiding the land or there was a drought, we don't know. And the story tells us a man named Elimelech, which means, my God is my king. He takes an initiative and he looks for a solution. 
But notwithstanding his name, he does not turn to God, but instead he goes to Moab. And his wife Naomi, which means loveliness, goes with him. They leave their allotted inheritance in Israel. And they leave, since in the Old Testament the perimeter of the nation and the church were more or less the same, they leave the church to seek their solution. A solution not with God, but with Moab. Now let's spend a minute on Moab. The Moab were descendants of Lot. And although the Israelites would, therefore, when they came to Israel, the land of Israel, not attack them or drive them out, these Moabites would not let the Israelites pass through their territory on the journey from the desert to the Promised Land. On the contrary, their king Balak hires the diviner Balaam to curse them. And when, this, and when that does not succeed, Balak follows Balaam's advice. And he seduces the Israelites to temple prostitution with Moabite women. This to raise God's anger against them, and indeed more than 20,000 die. We read this in Numbers 25. And in addition, the Moabites were worshippers of Chemos, to whom they offered children. And it is therefore no surprise to read in Deuteronomy 23 that no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the tenth generation. And it is precisely for this Moab that the Limelech and Naomi leave the church and their place in Israel. And although it may have initially meant to be a short stay, it later appears that they were planning to stay there. Their sons marry Moabite women, and for more than a decade they do not return. And if you read the start of the story, you realize that the Limelech's line would have run into the sand of Moab. His descendants would not be there in their allotted inheritance in Israel when the Messiah came, if not the Lord had taken action. And there is joyful action, because the famine we read in verse 6 ends. But there is also painful action, because Elimelech dies, and then both sons die. And while they thought that they had no future in Israel, now there is even less of a future in Moab. And so the Lord leads, maybe forces Naomi back. But Naomi still sees and analyzes things only in a horizontal dimension. Her daughters-in-law kindly offer to go with her, but she sees no future for them in Israel. The practical solution, she thinks, is a husband, a house, security, comfort, maybe children, and so provision for old age. And so runs her calculation, where are chances best? Not in Israel. She herself will have no more sons, and as foreigners, Ruth's and Orpah's situation would be difficult, possibly even vulnerable. And so she urges them to go back, repeatedly and persistently. Advice without God. 
with the best intentions, but the wrong advice. Orpa and Ruth, not to Israel, not to Israel's God you should go in your need. Now my calculations say that you should go back and find a Moabite husband and worship with him your Moabite gods. And the saddest sentence in the book of Ruth is undoubtedly the advice to Ruth in verse 15. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And it is also a comprehensive rejection of God and his ability and willingness to save us and to hold us fast. Go back. Go back to your gods. And one goes, not to Israel and its God, but to Moab. Poor Orpah. And while seeking the solution for her problems in the horizontal dimension, the loveliness, Naomi, now has turned into bitterness, Mara. Now we should understand the miserable situation Naomi found herself in. Because even in Israel, where the laws provided for the poor, widows were a disenfranchised group. They might not inherit land, and if they owned it somehow, like Naomi did, they might find it impossible to work. And most likely they were reduced to poverty, depending on handouts, or jobs and support. So superficial condemnation of Naomi seeking her own ways through these difficulties is inappropriate. And we should acknowledge the depths of her grief and her misery. And we can understand her bitter complaint in verse 21. I went full, and the Lord brought me back empty. But also we should see how without the vertical dimension in our life, without expecting a solution with and from God, we are entering a dead end. And the despairing question, why me, why is this happening to me, then so easily turns into self-pity. It is always me. God is against me. And that is what Naomi says in verse 23. And note also how in her self-pity she ignores that both Orpah and Ruth had lost their husband. And in her bitterness and self-pity she can also not say anything to Ruth anymore after she decides to stay with Naomi. There is no thank you, no welcome to Israel, no expression of confidence that the Lord will care for them. She simply says nothing anymore. It is bitterness indeed. And again at the entry into Bethlehem in verse 20, she says, Call me Mara, because the Lord has made my life very bitter. So we saw in the first place how redemption was rejected by Naomi. But we will now in the second place see how redemption was requested by Ruth. If you think that Naomi's position was difficult, Ruth's even more so. She was also a widow, but in addition in a strange land where she knows nobody, is new to its customs, and above all, 
is a foreigner. She does not belong. The position of a foreigner was often weak. No part of the local family or the village community and protection was hard to come by. Both Boaz in chapter 2 verse 9 and Naomi in chapter 2 verse 22 make a very clear reference to this. And then the chance to find a husband and thus status, security and comfort were likely to be less. Now why then did Ruth go to Israel? Was it just loyalty to her mother-in-law? But then wasn't it easier to stay in Moab and offer Naomi space and livelihood there? Because Ruth's practical ability to help Naomi must have been greater in Moab, where she came from, than in Israel. So just loyalty? Well, her answer to Naomi is certainly forceful, moving, and inspiring. It is forceful because she said, stop asking to, asking me to go back. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. It is nearly an oath because Naomi had compelled her to be so outspoken with her insistence to go back. And the words are also moving because clearly it shows a deep love and commitment. And they are inspiring. Because would it not be good if we all could be like that? But there is more here than loyalty. As we noticed, Ruth could have offered to provide for Naomi in Moab much easier. And if it was only loyalty to Naomi, why then to commit to stay in Israel after her death? Verse 17. Now, Ruth experience, if you think about it, with Israel's God in her life, so far wasn't the best from a horizontal perspective. Because since she had come in contact with him through Elimelech's father, family, her father-in-law is dead, her brother-in-law is dead, her husband is dead, and all that is left is an embittered, self-pitying mother-in-law. And yet, yet she must have heard something about Israel's God in that household. And then we know, of course, that there is above all the Lord, the giver and the sustainer of life. And as it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so we hear Ruth not only speak of a love for Naomi, And we hear her say that she will stay with her mother-in-law first in life, in verse 16a, and then in death, verse 17. But also in the center of her speech, she speaks of her love for Israel's God and his people. Verse 16b, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What a beautiful confession and testimony. Ruth wants to be one of God's children. And the redemption promised in the Messiah yet to come to Israel, she wants to be hers. And in her difficult situation, in her final analysis, 
it is not the calculation and an assessment of the practicalities as to where she and Naomi can best make a living, but she seeks refuge under the wings of Israel God, Israel's God. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Inspiring words, indeed. And in addition, it's also worth noting that Ruth does not stop there. She does not leave the practicalities aside. Because from a confession, you can't eat. Trusting in God and seeking his protection and his care and clearly prioritizing the vertical dimension in your life does not mean that you do not have your responsibilities. You cannot go and sit and wait for the solutions to drop from the sky. In Israel, God's law provided for the poor, as you can see in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. And in chapter 2, verse 2, we see Ruth taking a responsibility within that framework of the social laws that God had given for Israel. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. You see, only living in the horizontal dimension without trusting in God in our daily life and rejecting his redemption will lead into a dead end, into bitterness. And living with God, living with that vertical dimension, it does not take away the responsibility to deal with the practicalities of life proactively. And Ruth requested to be part of God's people and took action. And that is what we also may do in the difficulties that we may have. And we can do that with the encouragement of Psalm 142, the verses 6 and 7. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Set me free from my prison, then I may praise your name. And then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. So we heard about redemption rejected by Naomi about redemption requested by Ruth. And in the third and last place today, we will hear how redemption was reassured to her by Boaz. We saw Ruth to go out to glean, as was the right of the poor. But that right did not make her position necessarily a nice one. We already noted from the text that there was election for the foreigners. They were vulnerable. If someone was arresting a foreigner sexually or otherwise, who would protect him? And the foreigner, she remained. You can hear it in the servant's answer to Boaz's question in chapter 2, verse 5. Because the very first thing he says about her is, she is the Moabites. And only thereafter does he tell Boaz about her hard work. And also the position of a gleaner was not was a very humble one, because you were really dependent on how generous the owner and his servants interpreted the law. Your position was, we find in chapter 2, the verses 8 and 9, less than that of a servant. But the, the righteous will gather 
around me. That is what it said in Psalm 142. And then in our text, there he is, Boaz. As it turned out, says verse 3, with that gentle irony that we so often find in the Bible, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. And if you reflect upon that innocent-sounding sentence, you realize it gives us own responsibility and God's providence in one sentence. Because Boaz, we heard earlier, was a kinsman, and he was wealthy, and the importance of these characteristics will become more clear the next time. Of immediate relevance is that he also was a godly and a faithful man. And we can hear that in the greetings exchanged between him and his servants in chapter 2, verse 4. Because just then, another of these providential coincidences, Boaz, arrives. A faithful Israelite who interprets his duties under the law in a generous manner. Because Boaz does not leave just a few measly stalks of barley that could not be economically harvested anyway. No, Boaz, in his ministry of mercy, he goes the extra mile beyond the narrow call of duty. And in the course of the next verses, he offers Ruth first kind greetings, my daughter. And then he offers her understanding. I know about the death of your husband, for you left your father and mother and homeland to go and be a foreigner. And he offers her protection. Do not go elsewhere. I instructed my man not to touch you. He offers her food. Have bread, dip it into the vinegar. And he offers her company. Come and sit with us. He offers her generosity. She can gather among the sheaves and his servants are ordered to pull out some extra for her. And he offers her respect because she would benefit from his generosity through her gleaning, not as a gift. You see, rules are one thing, but how we interpret them and in such simple actions apply them is another one. And there is in our text much to learn from Boaz. So in his deeds, Boaz demonstrates how God cares, and in his words, he assures her of God's care. Verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There is here not a sort of superficial wish of good luck, but prophesying and witnessing that God will care. It is not like we can wish somebody all the best or success without much conviction for endeavors that we have no real confidence in and no, no idea how they might unfold. No, Boaz recognized that when Ruth told Naomi, your people are my people and your God is my God, that Ruth had come to seek refuge under God's wings. And Boaz, as the faithful Israelite, assures her 
that the God of Israel will respond, even where at this stage in the narrative he himself does not yet know how. As the Lord himself later says in Luke 18, verse 20 and 30, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, Boaz had obviously not heard these particular words, but he knew his God. Of God's love and his power, as it was described in Exodus 6, the verses 6 to 8. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession, because I am the Lord. And therefore, his confident and comforting assurance to Ruth. Boaz witnesses to her that God's wings provide protection, comfort, and security, all the things that Ruth did not have. And then note how well received his assurances are in verse 13. You have given me comfort and spoke kindly to your servant. Because Boaz's witness and assurance about his God was a real encouragement for Ruth. Boaz's deeds and words gave the poor, widowed, and foreign roof comfort. And then think, we today have so much more than Boaz. We have Boaz's descendant, the Lord Jesus. And to him, our Redeemer, who has made us right with God, we can go. To use the words we were singing this morning, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, you weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary, worn, and sad, and I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Amen.